So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Once again, we're drinking the ECS Twin Star Lager. Still delicious? Still, Still nice and cold. delicious. Effervescent. But also mellow. Refreshing. Very refreshing. Delightful. We are discussing some early films from the filmmaker Kelly Reichardt. Um, one of which is called Old Joy. The other is River of Grass, which means Everglades in direct translation from the uh, Native American, right? According to the movie itself. Yeah. Um, and then we have A Streetcar Named Desire from Elia Kazan. It's from 1951. Make connections with Kelly Reichardt as you see fit. Um, <laughs> we'll see what we can come up with. <laughs> there are characters and cameras. Oh, there are movies, huh? Didn't even All think right. about that. We got stuff to work with. People talk. But first, what do we do? First impressions, Michael. What do you want to do first? Oh, we are starting with Vitalina Varela. One of your most anticipated films of the year. Let's take a peek. All right, Michael, that's the trailer for Vitalina Varela. What do you think? It remains one of my most anticipated movies of the year. Maybe even higher. Why not? Um, I've loved Pedro Costa's uh, previous work. I think he just has ridiculously beautiful compositions. These really dark colors, like just pitch blacks and browns. I think they're just the chiaroscuro look of them is just so, so gorgeous to me. Um the depth of feeling, I just it just seems to run so deep, and I, I like the, uh, uh, the just the cinematic quality of it to me, and kind of the the formal rigor of it. I I think it looks fantastic. But what about you? First impression. I think I agree with everything you said. I mean, the lighting and the shadow work is obvious, but the framing seemed utterly meticulous. Uh, there's. A, a brief frame where a man is inside of a grate that is meant to be a sun pattern and he's inside of the inner circle of it. It's just those little extra things that I really like in formalism um, mixed with my favorite type of lighting, which is low light with expert use of shadow. It looks really in intriguing. Um, I don't know how enraptured I'm going to be by the end of it. I suspect it probably won't crack my top 10, but I imagine that the experience I have with it will be something similar to the Mustang, even though they're very different films, where the emotional ride that I take and how much it's just about one thing um, really, really sticks with me. 
coming out in just a couple of weeks, so not too long to wait. On to The Road's Not Taken. What, what kind of endings do you prefer? Depends on the story. What happens in yours? In my story, a man sets off on a long voyage and overcomes one obstacle after another. And on the last page, he has to decide to continue his life in exile or to come back home to what was once his home. All right, we just watched the trailer for The Road's Not Taken, directed by Sally Potter. Thoughts? Uh, yes, a mournful film starring Javier Bardem in which he at least temporarily plays a writer character. Um, yeah, I tend to like it when Javier Bardem plays characters named writer. Uh, so this is very much up my alley. Al Fanning's performance looks to be one of her best in a while. Um, she was really good in A Rainy Day in New York, um, the latest Woody Allen film. I, she gets to play a little bit of a different character here than there, but it looks like her dialogue in line delivery is, is um, enticing. Salma Hayek plays a supporting role, um, at least in one of these alternative life roads not taken. Um, so I'm very interested in the film. I think March is a great release time for this it reminds me kind of of that everybody knows window that we had last year which also starred javier bardem um so i'm into it how about you yeah i think it looks cool looks like the stuff of high drama um solid cast bardem fanning Selma hayek i like all these folks i'm not familiar with sally potter at all um i was just looking her up i have seen the movie ginger and rosa come across my screen many times so it looks like she's worked with Elfanian before okay um and uh, yeah I think it looks good yeah promising yeah (laughs) it's hey it's March this is awesome news that something not bad is coming out in March I'll take it um I will take that road (laughs) on to Kelly Reichert's Everglades or River of Grass we should just get out of here Hit the road, maybe go up north somewhere. I could feel the butterflies in my stomach as I tumbled deeper into a life of crime. Michael, I think your opinion of this film might be slightly higher than mine. Um, it has some interesting moments. I think the tone management is very difficult, especially for a first-time film. I think her characters are really interesting choices. But as a piece, I had a hard time staying interested in watching it. Um how did you feel about this film? I definitely didn't struggle to remain engaged with it. I definitely thought her experimentation with the form kept me very um, engaged. Um, I would never have guessed had I not known that this was a Kelly Record movie. Um, we should also also say it's her debut, uh-huh. 1994. Um, you know, I, I think of her 
as known for her muted, very quiet character dramas. This is very kind of playful in its form to me, even though the the setting and the characters are maybe a little bit downbeat. I do think there is kind of this freewheeling quality to the shape of it to me. Um, and that, that kept me pretty into it just to see what she was kind of doing with, um, editing and, um, you know, inserts with still photos and, and the score was not anything I would associate with Kelly Record. Um, that actually all kind of kept me on my toes, but I think I would agree. I think these characters are thinner than what we've come to expect from her, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think I was most engaged by the father who loses his gun. Um, really? That, I would anytime he, he was on the screen, I was like into whatever the story was that was happening. I, I found it really um, comedic and and just fun. Whereas Cozy's storyline, I just never felt like it really mattered. Um, and that's mm. something to do with the way that she shoots the film. Um, it's kind of the way that she shoots Wendy and Lucy is it, it's in this way in, in which the viewer never really feels like there's a threat to the main character, which is something that doesn't happen for me in Meek's cutoff mm. um, because of the way that she's shooting. It almost works. F- it works with the form because it creates trepidation because we don't know what's outside of the frame of the camera. Um, mm. And here there's just really no stakes for me to mm. care about. Um, I wasn't invested in her leaving her husband or any of that stuff. It just was very unengaging to me. And then the um, our villainous character who um, I, I guess has a certain magnetic quality also just I, I had a hard time caring about these characters. That's interesting. I did find most of what happens with the cop to be funny, him losing his gun like multiple times, Mm -hmm. him losing it once, finding it, then losing it again, not finding it that time. That was funny. Um, And the journey of the gun in the film, also humorous. Yeah, it becomes this kind of loaded object. Um, But it also like, it does what he would want it to do for his daughter in some ways to save her, quote unquote, but also it allows her to repeat what her mother did to them. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, to me there it did feel like there was a threat that the threat was just unhappiness for this housewife. Um I very much thought of Wanda, Barbara Loden's Wanda, <laughs> mm-hmm. um about a woman who's just kind of dissatisfied with domesticity and wanting to escape. I think Loden's eye and and direction might be a little bit more of my preference. Oh, I agree. I think that's the better movie. No yeah. doubt. I just um in terms of what is at stake, I think yeah. that was the similarity for me. Um, I, and, and it's even a little shoegazy. About I think both these films we'll talk about from her are a little bit shoegazy for me. Mm. Ponderous or something. Yeah, mm. I kind of, that's exactly what I kind of like about them. Yeah, um, I, I mean there, there's a there is a an enjoyable quality to the shoegaziness, but it totally for me retracts from caring about the timeline or like staying engaged because there is no trepidation because it is shoegazing a little bit slower yeah i use the word ponderous i think i take that back i I think that was maybe just to get at what you were suggesting i don't think i necessarily feel that way because i think it is a funny movie um and i think for me it's definitely towards the end that the point kind of becomes clear when this story of 
lovers on the run from a crime that they actually didn't commit um, comes to light for this housewife. And she says, if we weren't killers, we weren't anything. And to mm-hmm. me, it's just about the the desire to not be a nobody, to, to feel like you've made an impression in some way on the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That just that totally rang as, as real for me. Um, but I, I mean, think it I plays in a very dryly funny way. I think yeah. the tone is actually kind of fun. I I wouldn't disagree, but I w- I'd also say that if it's not ponderous, it's pondering. It's about how it's about those things that you just said, which to me is like a thoughtful thing, which is you know to ponder is to think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't completely retract it. Maybe you didn't mean it derogatorily. Right, right, which I might mean it a little bit more derogatorily, right. um, in shoegazy, not in the most flattering way. I, it is interesting though, like the the act of violence, the real act of killing in the film, the way that it's shot and edited, I think is very interesting because we see the gun go up and out of frame, and we hear the bullet, and we see the door close, but we don't see him get shot, and we don't hear the thud of the body. It's it's kind of an interesting. Um, use of form and like it's a very intriguing first piece but it's not my thing i guess yeah and don't get me wrong this is not my favorite kelly record like i think i like what she has gone on to do better i just it's fun to me to see someone say that i am a filmmaker i'm gonna use these tools i'm not you know a writer i'm not here totally about plot this is about playing with form i just mm-hmm. I, I just i can't help but go for that um, no in like shoestring think... budget wise it's impressive this is one of the earliest oscilloscope films i think i've ever seen in my life um and it's, it's just impressive to see <clears throat> as much work on such a small scale in such a, a really really restrictive environment at, for a first-time filmmaker yeah um yeah it's kind of funny to me that they're on the run trying to skip town and get out of florida but they kind of dawdle like it doesn't feel like there's a lot of urgency to me that's part of the humor which maybe for you is just a lack of propulsiveness or something to me yeah that was kind of when there's the shagginess is when there's a murder and a run away i like to i like to queen and slim it i like to that's get exactly out of there in the of. first 20 minutes yeah um, <clears throat> give me that road movie yeah, I, I like where... But she did. We'll get to old Joy. Exactly. They go to, I think it is the guy's mom's house, if I remember correctly. It mm-hmm. might have just been a random house, but they come out of, of it with some records. She has some... Well, it's his mom's um, house. That's where he it, lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and... Uh, they get a dollar for each record, then they can pay all the way to get to New York or something. Yeah. yeah, she's flipping through the records in the car and there's kind of that montage of the covers and um just, you know, the attention to those images with like the shot of a like an old Hollywood glamour photo during that opening montage. Again, just kind of spoke to that idea of me to me of wanting to kind of be someone of Yeah, um, yeah. I think the most notable one is a cover that has Bridget Bardot on it. Yeah, um, yeah, and it says something to that effect. Um, I, I believe on it, like like uh, be a star or something like that, essentially. And then it has the beautiful Bridget Bardot in the prime of her life um, on it, and she's looking at this, and you know, we as viewers imagine her aspirations for what she's going to go do in this Bonnie and Clyde scenario yeah, that never yeah. fully develops with 
one of the dumbest hides or Clydes I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just funny to me. Um, I think she described it herself as lovers on the run without love and a, and a crime with a crime movie without a crime. Um, to me, that's just sort of the the appeal is that she has sort of cleverly taken away the stakes just to focus on who they are. Um, and maybe it just, maybe that and maybe didn't make up for it. Budgetary constraints. I don't think, I don't know if that was what <clears throat> held me back from loving it. Like, I actually don't know that I like that either of these actors particularly well. I definitely um, do not. I, yeah. I like the father actor. I think mm. that's why he worked for me so much was it's just a great comedic role in yeah. delivery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't need budget to, to give me just, just texture and a sense of, of place, you know, this just highway cheap motels along the Everglades. I, I think I all, I, I kind of got into all of that. Um, I don't know that the, the mood is quite as potent as her later work. And I ultimately kind of go for something with deeper wells of feeling than something a little more comic. Mm-hmm. It feels a little more kind of irreverent or something um but uh i get the take i get it i I think we're actually fairly close but you definitely like it more than i do yeah i think you gave it three and a half and a heart yes that is correct i give it a three no heart pretty similar we're there yeah on to old joy old joy slow down you want to go left really yeah. Well, he thought he knew where it was, but, you know, remember who we're dealing with. We're super close. I never doubted you, man. Tango performs the OST of this film and it sets a excellent mood that kept me on the entire ride. No issues with staying in for this one. I completely agree. It's crazy to me. There are 12 years between Old Joy and River of Grass. I think this came out in 2006, which do feel like very different. This is her sophomore effort. That's right. What did she do for 12 years? Great question. I, I don't know. Um, I hope that there's like nine movies that we're going to get on Criterion at some right? point. Yeah. Uh, I really liked it. Um, well, Joy, it's set in Portland. Uh, well, Portland, Portland and then some southeast or like middle Oregon. Um, it's in between Salem and um, Beaverton and yeah. then to the east. Uh, it's about a couple guys going camping for the weekend, two old friends. Uh the actors are Will Oldham and Daniel London. Um, One of which had a band or group which had three different names, all of which involved the word palaces. In the movie? Are you talking about No, real in real life. life. I was at, like, at, I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, between 1990 and 1998, I think that mm. our, our um, balding character with the dog... Mm. Um, he was a musician that had like a bunch of different bands, all of which were called palaces in some way or another. When I think of Will Oldham, the guy with the 
beard. Yes. And doesn't he deliver a very similar kind of monologue in a ghost story about the universe? Um, yeah. He's the guy during the party, Yeah. Right? I think he exists to do this thing in indie movies. Yes. Which is very funny to me. Um, but yeah, I very much dug this movie. Um, found it very peaceful and so, and kind of tranquil. And I found it like kind of stressful. Just under the surface, in certain moments, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, when I he's think rambling mm. in the hot springs, particularly, I was like, "Just shut up." Oh, interesting. You <laughs> just did not care for him. Um, well, just in certain moments, but mm. I, I think in general, I probably don't care for him as a person. Yeah, yeah, I usually don't go for uh, drug-induced philosophizing. Um, but then she does some of that. The, uh, the book ending that um, Reichert does with our other character where he's in his car listening to a political talk show that's just completely pointless yeah. and empty, vacuous, but also like stressful and degenerative for like the idea of a soul or something like it's just the worst possible thing for someone who's exhausted and trying to like do something meaningful mm-hmm. with their life and the way that she bookends the beginning of the film when he's in the car and the end of the film when he's in the car with this totally pointless negativeness is just it, it capitalizes on the benefits of that maybe vacuous but ponderous um and, and thoughtful drug-induced ideas mm. that we get in mm. the middle yeah and speaking about bookends i kind of like that we start with Mark, Daniel Lennon's character, where we meet him first, but then we end the film watching Will Oldham's Kurt kind of wandering around, maybe deciding what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of thought we were going to maybe re- return to Mark and see him kind of come back to his wife, you know, relaxed or whatever. But I like that, you know, we this is about the two of them. Not, and the last time we see him, he's getting stressed out by the talk radio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was sort of fascinated by how serene it felt to me while also kind of being about the malaise of early adulthood that's what this felt like it was about to me Uh these guys kind of reminiscing about um having spent time together in their youth hanging out with friends at places that aren't around anymore um which you know to describe an indie movie that does that can just sound so kind of self-pitying but i really didn't feel like that is what this was doing no Um, it's her road trip movie um, but more than anything, this is a film that highlights the ability that Kelly Reichert has to show a dog enjoying itself. Lucy has a good time. She had a good camping trip. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's my favorite pastime to watch Kelly Reichert shoot dogs with oh, a dope. camera, not with a gun. <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> to be clear. Uh, I can only imagine like other Sundance versions of this movie that, that are just far more precious about a kind of um, spiritual camping trip where someone is touched by the beauty of nature. Mm -hmm. I like that. She immediately kind of dispels that by the first night of the camping trip, being at a spot that is just littered with garbage. And they're like, I guess we'll stay here. Um, I don't think it's precious at all, but I do think there is real depth of feeling to these guys wanting to um, kind of like hit pause on things because it's scary to kind of see youth, you know, kind of fading in your memory in in a way and kind of figuring out what 
you know, the future holds for your friendship and for, for each of your lives. I mean, that doll just feels super real and super relatable um, in a really down-to-earth way. Um, Speaking of down-to-earth, what do you think? Is the universe a teardrop that's been falling forever? Yeah, I don't take too much of what he says when he is high very literally. Did you? Do you think Kelly Reichert wants <laughs> us to find meaning in that or no? Um... Hmm. The way that you phrased the question, I think I would agree that that's not how she intended it. But I think that she does intend to communicate the idea of being able to pretty quickly comprehend ideas in fundamental physics. um, And then how those understanding of fundamentals can very quickly lead to really, really vacuous ideas that are really specifically tailored to someone's ego. Um, particularly when you're, you know, high or um, drunk or whatever, you'll just focus on yourself and interpret your fundamental understanding of stuff to suit you. But I, I also think that it shows that like, you know, these, that basic humans can understand the fundamentals of certain stuff pretty quickly. Um, and like when he's, talking about an atom in between two mirrors and seeing the reflection of it. You, you know, you kind of get exactly what he's trying to say, but he also stumbles over himself and like gives up, which is like a, a really um, particularly human moment where we know something, but we don't know how to form the words to say it. Um, and someone that's like on our, on our wavelength or whatever gets it without us having to finish. And someone that doesn't, doesn't. Um, I would particularly mention um, my favorite, shot of the film is a weirdly um sensual um shot in near the end um they're in the hot springs and daniel's character is being massaged by um oldham's character kurt mm-hmm. yeah and um we go to his left hand and the way that it's shot is just really um expressive and emotional mm-hmm. it's, oh, it's it's the shot of the movie yeah i agree it's fascinating i i've never seen a shot of a hand like that and it's out of the water and it has a wedding ring on it and kind of right it's edited perfectly to the point where right when we notice that the point is the wedding ring and what this means for their relationship as men together it slips into the water and this really it's not sexual, but it's really close to sexuality or romanticism or, or sensuality. It's right in there. Um, I really, really loved that shot. It, it made the entire movie for me. Oh, I will not argue with you on that one. I do think that is the shot of the movie. Easily my favorite. Um, and yeah, I would agree. There, There's kind of a sensuousness to it. Um and to me, it's partly just about... Um, like, have you ever seen uh, a man's hand shot like that? Uh, I I mean, can't think of maybe of, uh, in like if Beale Street could talk in, in some ways, but it's not the same. Yeah. Um, it There's just a real relief that comes with it for me that it, it feels like there is this yeah. weight being lifted. Or um, tension dispersing. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I don't think this is a tense movie, which is kind of interesting. It's not like we've seen this guy be super anxious. He's very kind of um, inward about, you know, his ennui, but you very much feel this kind of weight lifted off of him when he 
can let his hand down into some water. The shot for sure. Um, and and on the note of Will Oldham's uh, philosophical and existential talk when he's high, it partly just kind of gave me a sense of who this guy is, that he is a little bit up in the clouds. And that's mm-hmm. maybe why that is partly why I think this other guy worries about him a little bit, whereas the other guy is particularly practical. Mm-hmm. And that's leading to his own kind of anxieties about what and the issues. future has in yeah. store for him. And I don't think we look at either one and go, oh, they have life figured out. Definitely not. Um, some of what he's saying is kind of eye-rolling, but some of it also feels pretty spot on. I like that analogy about walking through the forest and seeing the the, the mess of things and getting above tree line and mm-hmm. finally then seeing the shape of things, which is to me kind of about perspective. And this is about reaching a certain age in your life where you're suddenly looking back on youth with and, and seeing the shape of it and, and what you what you kind of miss and um, what you then kind of worry about going into the next phase of your life and what, you know, what everyone's doing, you know? Yeah. Um, Look around, you see trees and rocks and bushes pressing around you, and then you get above the tree line, you see everything you just went through, and it all, like, comes together. You know, you see that it has a shape after all. That all just feels super real. Um, And it's a point that that the other character played by Daniel, I don't remember the name of the character need needed to hear. Cause he's the more practical one, but then the practical points that that character can make the other character needs to hear. It's an interesting counterfactual, um, that the screenplay created, um, and that undercurrent of Yola Tango weirdly just meets every little bump oh, in the good. road. Just perfectly. Very um, nice. The way that it, it ramps up when they um, go into the cafe and like everything feels like it's about to get righted. And then she's like, oh, I've never been there, but I got the map in the back, I think. And mm-hmm. just the the music cues are, are really, really good for a sophomore effort with an indie mm-hmm. director and an indie band. Yeah, it is the kind of music it needs, not electronic stuff or anything heavy, just light kind of acoustic stuff that you just, yeah, easily kind of fall onto its wavelength. Big fan of that. Um, and yeah, you already mentioned uh, best shot of the movie. Any other particular scenes that stood out to you? Um, I think that the way that she framed the scene in which they get into the hot spring um, so that the planks are almost entirely covering um, the more uh, netherish regions when they undress um, in conjunction with making it look nice was really an, an interestingly framed shot. I don't know if it was my favorite, but I definitely like I ended the movie and I've thought about it a few times. Just it's a really interesting framing. How mm. about you? Uh, the one that's just popping to mind is after they pull over to, pull out a map and try to figure out where they are because Wolden's character has clearly got them lost and they pull away from that um, shoulder and then the camera just kind of stops for a minute. It doesn't follow him. It just lets him drive out of the frame, mm-hmm. um, which I think is just speaks to what I partly like about the movie, which is just its sense of place. It's just as interested in where these guys are as it is their story and their drama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just... Uh, it just it just feels like Oregon. She's interested in in the green of it and the texture and the um, 
kinds of houses in Portland and the the, the, the way the streets are and you know I just all that oh man sense of place is nice the way that she shoots the uh the canal under the bridge is just oh nice stuff yeah. I was I was like I've been there 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 every the way that she shoots stuff it's just fun to be like oh I've been there I've been there mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um if there's nothing else on to Elia Kazan's streetcar named desire all right let's switch gears it won the Pulitzer Prize, the Critics' Award, the most revealing play ever written. New York, London, Paris, Brussels, Rome, all cheered it. It's an even greater motion picture. This is the story of a woman, Blanche Dubois, who wanted so much to stay a lady. A vivid, vibrant, exciting story, because every searching chapter was written by men. Men who taught her to trust and to hope, to love and to hate. The youth who brought remembrance of yesterday. The man who was willing to take her out of the dark alleys of New Orleans. The brute who lied and cheated, who promised everything, gave nothing. Don't you ever talk that way to me. Disgusting, vulgar, greasy. But who do you think you are, a couple of queens or something? Could it be you and me, Blanche? Uh, what does it cost for seeing furs like that? Why, these are a tribute from an admirer of mine. Well, he must have had a lot of admiration. Switching tones a little bit. Just a smidgeroo. Going back in time about 60 years. Vivian Lee stars as Blanche. And um, what's the name of Marlon Brando's character? Marlon Brando plays Stanley Kowalski. That's right. The Pollock. That is correct. <laughs> He loves that endearing term. Uh, it's based on a play by one Tennessee Williams. Uh, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Same for you as well, mm-hmm. right? Yep. First time classic. Um, I I like this movie. What about you? I love this movie. This is love an it. awesome movie. <laughs> um, it's just, it's all in Tennessee Williams stage play. And then the the framing that Kazan gives it and the thoroughness of whoever his cinematographer is that I'm forgetting the name of in that lighting crew, like just the, the crew on all those sub lines make this movie work in conjunction with Vivian Lee. Um, I don't particularly care for Brando's performance. It's not bad. It's not bad, but I, I expected to be a little bit more riveted. Hmm. Um, and I wasn't, I was like, yeah, he can play this. I could see Kirk Douglas playing this. Like I, I could see a lot of different actors playing the role and delivering it fine. It didn't seem like he was doing something special that no one else can, could have done for the piece. Oh, fascinating. Um, okay. so that definitely surprised me. Um, I'm forgetting her name, but the, the neighbor, um, who plays a supporting role absolutely sells that world to me that little tiny block of new orleans does not exist without that neighbor for me eunice neighbor's name played by peg hilius peg hilius she played um the same character in the broadway version um that ran for i believe a few years um and then she was cast in that role here and i I think that in a close-up near the end when she delivers a line to blanche 
there's so much nuance to her facial reaction that there's no way you get that mm. piece of acting without someone walking the boards for that long playing that role. Yeah, she was good. Yeah, um, yeah, I thought the acting was phenomenal. I very much like Brando, and story-wise, I just thought it was a very interesting kind of microcosm of uh, class and cultural conflict. Mm-hmm. With Stanley being this kind of unpretentious working class tough guy and Blanche as um you know so much more genteel and formerly rich uh, mm-hmm. a socialite and she's um downwardly mobile in a social sense and refusing to accept it and they uh kind of despise each other's way of life but also kind of want each other um mm-hmm. the way lust is kind of um I mean this film is coming. famous for gaslighting yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's hard not to say, you know, oh, this movie's partly about desire. Because that, they, they mm-hmm. took the word away from you. Uh-huh. You can't say it. But I'll, I'll use the word lust just to pick a different word. Um, and how that kind of gets mixed up in their conflict. And, and I think that very much waxes and wanes. Um, I think it's clearest when they first meet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's all sweaty and she's clearly attracted to him. And he takes his uh, shirt off. And she's oh. eyeballing him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then she's also kind of repelled by mm-hmm. him. Um, he, they hear like a cat upstairs or something like that, and he makes, you know, a cat sound. Um, and it definitely conveys at least how she sees him as that kind of undomesticated kind of creature or something like that. Um, I, I, I just got a very clear sense of how what they each thought of each other. Um, that that gives it a lot of its uh, charge. Um, Sorry, the timer went off. <clears throat> you need to understand, in New Orleans, there's the Napoleonic Code, Michael. <laughs> yeah, just, just his vocal delivery is so good. Um, when he's, like, coming on to her later in the film and she's kind of retreating, like, he, like his grin, like, he just has that diabolical grin that I thought was fantastic. Um, or when he flips out at the table one point and throws a cup against the wall. I was so ready for him to like turn back to the table and kind of be huffing and puffing. Like he just threw a cup like full force, but he's totally calm. And he just says like, Oh my place is all clean. Do you guys need help with yours? Totally relaxed, which is way more intimidating. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought he was phenomenal. Um, I I did not feel that way. I, I felt like Vivian Lee absolutely defines the entire piece. Brando is good, but to me, he's the role based on the screenplay is kind of a a role player role where I just I could have seen other top tier talent step in and do just as serviceable a job. I don't know that I would point to anyone doing it better. I think that I might just have distaste for the role. So Mm. I might not like anybody in that role very much just because I don't like the character. Um, which is a testament to Tennessee's um, quality of writing more than anything. Um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Yeah, drawn to her over him. Yeah. It's fair, picking sides, whatever. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I am. Um, I believe that there, that the full line is, I want to deceive him just enough to make him desire me. I think that explains the entire film. Um, now, whether we're talking about Brando's character, whether we're talking about his friend or 
the young boy who comes to the door at one point um, looking for the man of the house um, to sell him something or get money for some reason. Um, Every interaction she has is just about deceit and desire. And I think that the way that the shadows are cast in the film to make it always after six o'clock and that line delivery at the end where he's like, I've never seen you before six. Why is mm. that? Yeah. And he holds her up to the lamp and he's like, you're not 25. I, I just, I think that the entire piece works to tell Vivian Lee's story um, as Blanche in a way that very few pieces of writing ever do. Yeah. That scene where she's, uh, having that confrontation with Mitch and he's just uh, learned of her supposedly sordid past, right? That mm-hmm. that seems my favorite because it has my favorite line where she says, I don't want realism, I want magic or something like that. Um, which was not just a great line in and of itself, but I also just thought like, wow, she kind of realizes that she's a little bit delusional, that she is pretending mm-hmm. that she is not having this downfall, that she is as rich and, and refined as ever. Um, I, that that struck my attention because then I think it's only a couple scenes later that she has kind of lost self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like this point where she still has her like bearings on things. She can tell herself what's going on. Yeah. Um, which was interesting. Um, uh, I was maybe a little less enthused with her relationship with Mitch. Like I just think all the tensions between her, Brando, and the sister... Um, I don't know that I got quite as much out of her relationship. Like, oh, I liked him, that but... big scene with Mitch where they um, they go dancing and then she boardwalk or something. Yeah. And she doesn't want to go back in for the dance. And then she lights the candle and then he tries to like force himself on her mm. <clears throat> and the way that she protests. He runs away and acts mm. all hurt. And then they can. Oh, it's just it's a very human drama. I, I really, really enjoy those little moments where she's trying to lure this man into loving her but the more that he falls for her the less that she wants him Mm. which is like she's being gaslit by brando but then you can Mm -hmm. argue that she's gaslighting mitch um yeah and i just i i love that interplay it's it's just so fascinating to me yeah uh the other movie that came to mind while watching it with Sunset Boulevard um, mm-hmm. for another story about a woman you with know, awesome shadows, 100% uh, a woman, um, you know, past her prime or, or, or so she thinks, you know, in a certain, in a certain sense, they're in different worlds. Um, but uh, you know, Norma Desmond's um, kind of spiraling into delusion feels very similar to this. Um and they were only a year apart, which just kind of struck me as interesting. Wow, I didn't realize um, that. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that either until I was trying to remember who played Norma Desmond. That was Gloria Swanson. Um, uh, they just they, they share a little something there for me. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think it's great looking too. Um, I like that light outside the building that you keep seeing flashing on mm-hmm. and off. Like if this whole movie's kind of throbbing with lust i think that is a very nice evocation of that i very much appreciated that along with all of the um other uh, framing and, and composition it's just a good looking movie do you have a favorite scene i do like the confrontation with mitch just for that one line like that was the line that jumped out to me 
Um, but uh, it's weird to say I like this scene, but the other one that did stand out is when uh, Brando's character kind of like tackles her on the bed and, and just is just cackling over and above her. Like that was just particularly intimidating and and just just uh kind of cruel i was a little taken aback at that one that was striking we'll put it that way what about you um good question if it's not well i've, I've already talked about mitch on the boardwalk so i i'd say either her arrival when we talk when we hear her talk about the streetcar desire and the way that the smoke and the illumination of the lights works in conjunction with everything. But I'd also be tempted to say the factory fight with Mitch and Marlon Brando's character, which isn't particularly like great cinematography or anything, but in conjunction to the film, it's a totally different type of location with a full assortment of supporting cast or extras, whoever's in there. And the way that they customized the lighting, got the smoke going in conjunction with the shadows. And then I, I believe they do like a slow zoom in during the fight. Um, or maybe it was a pan cut zoom. It just, the the way that all that went together um, totally goes against the rest of the film, but it feels like a piece of it. And that, that was just really interesting filmmaking. Yeah, if I remember, I could be misremembering, but I think like it starts in the middle of the fight, right? That yeah. scene. Um which just well, it starts with them throwing words and like trying to to bust through the extras, right? To get right. at each other, and then it, it kind of goes in, and we lose track of where we are because there's so many bodies, and then they're separated. Yeah, uh, <coughs> that it kind of skipped over Brando's actual telling of him. Like that means only minutes before he was like. Have you heard about her history? Like that would have been a big moment. And, and well, like, and it, I don't think that's exactly how nice he went about saying those I words. D- I that was not a great impersonation <laughs> of how he probably conveyed that. You are correct. Hey, you idiot, <laughs> dumbass! <laughs> probably more something like you know that. who you're trying to marry. <laughs> For sure, it's a good scene. Um, anything else you want to discuss regarding Elia Kazan's A Streetcar Named Desire? That's all I got. It's all right. One. That was a fun classic throwback. I'll see you next week, Michael. Adios. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! And that is another one in the camp.